the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have with us a very special guest. Carol Zerniel, our normal co-host, is on special assignment today, so I'm flying solo with our guest, Laurel Whitman. Laurel joined the Well Spouse Association as a member in 2014, board of directors in 2020, and she has a particular interest in reaching younger, well, spouses like herself. She became president-elect in early 2021 and served as president in September 2021. She also facilitates its Younger Well Spouse Support Group, and we'll explain what all of that means. Laurel has a BS in commerce with a concentration in finance from the University of Virginia, and she and her husband reside in Falls Church, Virginia, a pretty part of the world just outside of Washington, D.C. And Laurel Whitman, thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. For those who, who don't know, tell us about Well Spouse and, and what that's all about. Sure, I'd be happy to. So we are the only organization that supports the spouses and partners of people living with chronic illness or disability. We're about a 35-year-old nonprofit. Um, we support members all over the U.S., Canada, and uh, other countries, too. And our model is one of peer support. So the people that you meet in our community are going through the spousal caregiving experience with you. Now, how is that different from uh, someone who, who might be a caregiver who's a, a son, a daughter, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin? Sure. So we think that there are special nuances to the spousal caregiving experience. There are differences between um, the, the experience that we have and people who are caring for other, other um, family members or friends or, or, you know, people in an unpaid or paid relationship that isn't a family. Um, so we think there are, there are nuances to it that that make our journey a little different. And that's what we tend to focus on in our organization. And you had personal experience as a caregiver. I do. I have, I currently have personal experience as a caregiver. So my husband, uh, Eduardo, has uh, multiple sclerosis. He was diagnosed when he was uh, 23 and we met when he was 28. Um, when we first met, he was walking, talking, you know, worked full time, you know, not unlike you and me. And uh, he had a pretty rapid progression to his MS. And for the last uh, 10 years or so, he has not been able to leave the bed by himself. He's a quadriplegic now um, and needs full time 24 hour care. Wow. You take seriously in sickness and in health. <laughs> I do. As you fell into that role and, and you literally fell into that role. Mm -hmm. What were you thinking at the time? It, it wasn't something you necessarily signed on for, but you knew he had MS when you married. 
We did, yeah. So he told me on our third date, we were watching The West Wing, and the president on The West Wing had been diagnosed with MS, and it came up kind of naturally as we were watching TV together, and he turned to me and said, you know, I also have MS. And, you know, it it catches you off guard in the moment, and you know that that is an important moment that you always remember, but you know, you, <laughs> I just said, okay, that's, I'll learn more about it and we'll, we'll keep going. And we did. So um, that was you know, an old, by the way. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think he was probably looking for an opening. You know, I, I don't think I've actually ever talked to him about whether he, he stressed over that moment, you know, that he's newly dating somebody. She might not, she might not be open to this, you know, this kind right. of path for her life. Um, but yeah, it came out really early. So I always did know. And, and certainly by the time, we got married. He was um, he was using a cane in a wheelchair. So our lives had already started to change. It takes a a special person uh, to embrace and and adopt as you did uh, that role years ago. Uh, working for an agency in Washington D.C. at the time, not far from where you are, uh, a fellow who worked there was a lawyer in the general counsel's office. His wife was diagnosed with MS, totally out of the blue. What did he do? Mm-hmm. He divorced her. He divorced her. Uh-huh. We we see that a lot. There's a, a statistic floating around out there. It may have been disproven um, since, but something like 75% of people whose partners have MS leave at some point. Um, it's complicated. You know, this has been the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life um, is to, to be alongside him, not even to have the illness myself. Um, so I try very hard not to judge people who make different choices with it. Um, you know, the factors that keep people in these kinds of, uh, well spouse relationships, as we call them, are, are multifactorial. (laughs) They're not easy decisions to stay or to go. What is your day like? What what is it from the standpoint of caregiving that, that you're doing? You're giving literally 24 seven care. Yeah, so I'm I'm really fortunate. We have a, a longtime aide now. She's terrific. She's with us, um, you know, ten hours a day. Before COVID, you know, I worked outside the home, and so she would be here basically the time that I was, um, you know, I was off to work, and a couple hours before and after. Um, but otherwise, the other fourteen hours are me for the most part. Um, and she and I together manage all of his care. He literally can't move anything below his head. Um, he uses a feeding tube at this point. He uses uh, a variety of medical equipment, you know, and he needs his position to be changed every so often. Um, you know, just recently I was giving him antibiotics at home. He had an infection and was hospitalized. Um, they kick you out after three or four days if you're otherwise okay to, to go home. And so he came home and I had to finish the antibiotics. So I was literally like priming, you know, the tubing that go with the IV antibiotics and hoping there weren't any bubbles in the line and hoping I was doing it all right so that, you know, he got the care that he needed. So some days can be very intensive. And then, you know, the very worst days, and this always seems to happen uh, overnight for, you know, for all of us is, are the days where he gets sick and, you know, you have to make the decisions about, is he sick enough to go to the hospital? You know, how, how bad is it? Is this, you know, uh, is this going to be a wasted ride for the ambulance folks to come out and check on him? Um, You know, for the most part now, when he goes to the hospital, he, he gets checked in and sometimes it's even the ICU. So it's kind of a whole different level of, of stress. And he's hooked up to alarms all night. So, you know, when the alarms go off, I I check on him. In terms of the challenges that he faces and you face as well, what about communication? Is he uh, verbal? Is is his intellect fine? 
Yeah, he does have some cognitive challenges. Um, I think most people with MS in particular focus on the physical losses of that disease, but cognitive and uh, emotional, you know, mood disorders are very common as well. And he has some of that. Uh, So his memory can be impacted. You know, he'll remember things from 20 years ago, and he won't remember a conversation we might have had in the morning. Um, He he is still verbal, but he because he's very deconditioned and his lungs don't work the way um, they used to. Certainly, it's hard for him to get you know more than a sentence out, and we all have to kind of lean in and, <laughs> and and ask him to repeat himself, which is is frustrating and heartbreaking because he is very much inside, and sometimes it's a struggle for for his personality to come out. Stay with me just a minute. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our very special guest today, Laurel Whitman. Uh, we're talking about when spouses become caregivers a fairly common occurrence across this country, but you may not be aware there is an association called Well Spouse Association that's there to help you. And we're delighted to have you on board today on Caregiver SOS On Air. Carol Zorniel, our co-host on special assignment. So I am flying solo along with Laurel. Uh, So Laurel, he's not the guy you marry. He's different. Yes. And our, our marriage is not the marriage we started with or the marriage I expected. What did you expect? The fairy tale marriage? <laughs> well, you know, my parents have been together for uh, 53 years. They still like each other. I, I, you know, they get along well. I, I like to think I had very good role models for, you know, something, a relationship that looks 50-50 or 60-60. <laughs> you know, everyone <laughs> kind of does their their share in a little more. Um, but that, you know, really quickly changed in our relationship. It, it wasn't something he could he could do. So. Do you resent it? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, that's where well spouse uh, in that community comes in very handy because these are really normal reactions, very human reactions to a very difficult situation or some of these kind of really ugly emotions that are uh, that can be really hard to um, to live with. So I had uh, knee replacement surgery a, a few years ago and uh, my wife was thrust into the role briefly of a caregiver and she used to tell people She's a caregiver, but not an enabler. And to give you the Mm -hmm. best example, I came home from uh, the hospital the next day. Uh, I could get around, but not easily. And I'm uh, lying on the couch. And I I said, Gina, do do you mind getting me some water? And she said to me, get up and get it yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Which I did. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Right, right. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Exactly. And as you talk to folks... Uh, who are in the situation that you're in. Of course, I had a prognosis that, you know, I'll be over Mm -hmm. this. And in a few weeks, I was in terms of being able to, you know, get around quite well. But but in situations like yours, where uh, the outlook isn't wellness, he's not going to get better. uh, How do you deal with the emotional downside? And what do you tell people who are in a similar situation? Yeah, we we talk about it a lot. Um, And I think that's really the first part of, of, getting through it and getting to some place of acceptance, which I think many days I am at, not all of them, but many days I am at, Um, you know, to be able to talk through the different emotions that we're having, I think for years and years, everything, everything I was feeling came across as anxiety, which (laughs) there was a lot more complicated emotion under that surface, right? I was having grief, I was having loss, I was having resentment, I was having depression, anxiety, you know, and these are all emotions that many of us have in, in this situation. And, you know, they will continue, there isn't going to be a way to 
to get past them. Um, you know, guilt, shame, we talk about those too. You know, when I think, you say guilt and shame, you mean yeah. guilty because you don't have it? You just, you can't give enough so many times to the person that, you know, there, there is nothing I can do. I can be at 125% of my capacity, my capability, and it will not make my husband's life that much better. And so there's this constant feeling of, of falling short, I think, of what our, you know, what we would like to be able to give our partners. And that comes out as, as guilt and shame, you know, in this situation a lot of the time. So and, you learn to live and- with it. And you are in in some ways isolated. You don't mm-hmm. get out as much as you used to. That's right. Yep. I only leave the house when an aide is here and when things are going well. And uh, you know, I, I except for hospital stays, I haven't been alone in my house um, in probably what ten years. Because <laughs> where's my husband going to go? So it's a it's a can be a very isolating life, and it's not one people like to talk about, right? It's not just my story. It's also his story. Um, it can be embarrassing. It can be, um, you know, there's there are privacy considerations I have to be cognizant of that I'm, I'm not telling too much of his story. Um, so it, it, it's complicated to talk about it, too. And that that adds to that isolation. All right. Hang with me a minute. We're going to get right back to you. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. A very powerful story. Laura Whitman, the husband, has MS. He's a quadriplegic. And she, uh, after 10 plus years of marriage, is his caregiver 24-7 on duty with a part-time aide who comes in about 10 hours a day, most days. We're talking about the challenges, and we're talking about an association that if you are a spouse who's a caregiver, may be helpful for you. We'll talk more about the Well Spouse Association. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. We're so pleased you're with us today on the award-winning Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, Carol Zernil, our co-host on special assignment today, and we're talking with Laurel Whitman. Laurel is a spouse. Her husband has MS, and when they married, she knew he had it, uh, but it became very aggressive to the point where he is a paraplegic, and she's talking about her involvement in the Well Spouse Association. She was president of that group for a while, and we're talking about what it can do for you and what the special challenges are for spouses who are caregivers. So we were talking a bit about the Well Spouse Association. Laurel, give us more details on how it can help folks. And I'm assuming there's a website that people can go to as well. That's right. I'll start there. It's wellspouse.org. Keep it very easy. Um, And what our organization provides really at the heart of it is community to get at that feeling of of isolation that so many of us have. Um, We are a nonprofit. We are membership based. That's how we we pay for the uh, (laughs) pay the bills in the office and keep the website up. Um, We also take donations, of course. 
Um, and our members can take advantage of a number of different programs that we run. Um, the one that is, uh, I joke, it's kind of the, the gateway drug to the uh, WellSpouse <laughs> network is uh, our support group network. So we run close to 30 support group meetings each month all over the U.S. Um, prior to by COVID. Zoom? Are they by Zoom? Oh, uh, they are now a mix of in-person and by Zoom. We obviously shifted to Zoom during COVID, and now a lot of them have gone back to being in-person because, um, you know, there's no replacement for that that kind of uh, interpersonal connection you get being in the same room with somebody. But we have people who can't leave their home, and we have people who need to leave their home to talk about this kind of stuff. So we try and meet people where they are. And, you know, the benefit of our groups, which can be which is a little different than other groups that um, organizations may run, is that our groups have been around for years and years and years. So there's a continuity to that experience. This isn't, you know, a single six-week program. This is years and years of working with people and talking with people and getting guidance from people who have been where you are or are currently where you are, or maybe they're in the future. So that's really, I think, the the crown jewel of our programming. But then we run a conference each year as well. We do a number of webinars on topics of, of interest to uh, spousal caregivers. And we have a newsletter that we put out four times a year that's written by and for people in our community. Um, so a lot of great ways that you can share your story and hear other people tell theirs. Now, you don't have to be in Falls Church, Virginia to be part of the group. You don't. Actually, we're headquartered in New Jersey, but we have members all over the U.S. And you have support groups all over the U.S. as well. We do. There's a a bit of a focus, I would say, on the the two coasts at the moment. But with Zoom, you can be anywhere and and dial in. So that's very helpful. And are the uh, uh, group sessions uh, free? Is there a cost? Yeah. So what we do is we tell people to try one or two and see if there's a good fit. And if one meeting doesn't quite work for you, please come back and try another. Um, and then we do ask people to join as a member. And the cost of membership is $39 per year. So it's kind of that stereotypical cup of coffee each month. Um, <laughs> we also tell people, and it's true that we don't turn away anyone who has financial reasons for not being able to afford it. We want people to you know, have access to these resources if they need them. Now, the assumption is uh, you're talking spouses, women, caregivers, but it's got to be men also. It's men and women. Yeah. Interestingly, there are more men proportionally that provide spousal caregiving than other types of caregiving. So I think, you know, the normal mental picture we all have of caregivers is, you know, a woman in her 40s and 50s taking care of an elderly parent. Um, and that that's definitely by the numbers, that is a, a good picture to have. But for spousal caregivers, you're more likely to be male. And that makes sense when you think a lot of the diseases that are, you know, the long-term progressive diseases, they're the ones women tend to get. They're memory disorders, autoimmune diseases, uh, cancers, you know, and these are the diseases that really change the trajectory of your life and your, your partnership. It's interesting when you go back and think about Laurel as a little girl growing up and what Mm -hmm. your hopes and dreams were (laughs) and where you are today, it has to be different. You know, it is different um, for the obvious reasons. And I don't have kids. We we weren't able to have kids um, in large part because I couldn't care for him and provide the care that that kids would need. I'm in my early 40s, heading towards my mid 40s, you know, there may be an opportunity to, uh, to do that in the, the near future. But you know, for right now, so my relationship and, and, you know, not having the, the two, 2.3 kids 
is what looks different. I am incredibly blessed, though, to have an employer who's been flexible, you know, to have the financial resources to bring in outside care. Um, I've been able to travel. You know, I've, I've even, <laughs> Eddie has been in the hospital before with an infection that's going okay, but he still needs to be there. And I've been able to travel internationally, which, so I'm, I, this is kind of the best case scenario for spousal caregiving. And it's still just the hardest thing. You know, I, I can't, couldn't even imagine how difficult it was as a little girl or how difficult where do you, it would be. Where, where do you work? What is it you do? Yeah, I work in venture lending. So I lend money to biotech and life science companies. And that would take you all over the country because they're all over the country. You they should bring you to San Antonio. A lot of biotech companies <laughs> yep. here. Yep. We have coverage of Texas. Yeah, I'm, I stay east of the Mississippi in Europe. So as we talk about this, you know, and I know somebody listening. Mm-hmm. is going to end up being a spousal caregiver tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give them when that first moment happens, when they get a call from the ICU, uh, yeah. Mrs. Jones, your husband's here. He was in a terrible auto accident. Uh, we need you here right now. Mm-hmm. So I would give the advice not to, to try and push back on the normal instinct, which is the thing that I did and a thing that a lot of people do, which is when it happens, you start doing research. You start Googling, you're looking for cures, you're looking for fixes. There's a doctor out there that you just haven't found yet. You know, this is all kind of late at night. <laughs> Google right. searches in front of your laptop by yourself. And that is a really difficult impulse to, to push against. But that's avoidance behavior. That's trying to mitigate some of that anxiety. You're trying to fix something that you haven't figured out yet can't necessarily be fixed. You're in a different world. And I think if people can find the way to sit with some of that grief and loss earlier in the journey, they won't have kind of the rock bottom experience that I had (laughs) about 10 years ago, which is when I found Well Spouse. You know, there were a lot of years when I was doing this alone, you know, fingernails, you know, trying to hold myself up and not, it doesn't have to be like that. So I think that's the first thing when you, you know, you seem to become a caregiver and for some people it's much more gradual, right? And so they don't realize they're a caregiver. A lot of us don't have that ICU experience. You, you know, you're starting to pay the bills when your husband used to, or, you know, you're taking the kids to school all of the time instead of part of the time, or, you know, these these kind of creeping losses are happening. And a lot of people don't realize until they look back, like, wow, I've been a caregiver now for 10 years. I had no idea. So if you can get that kind of visibility a little earlier again, there are resources that can help you. As you think about uh, the impact it's had on on your life and the advice Mm -hmm. you're giving others, uh, does well spouse have folks who can do one-on-one phone conversations? If yeah. I say, man, I need mm-hmm. to talk to somebody right now. <laughs> so we, we have what we call our caregiver connections program. And that does connect you one-on-one with somebody who hopefully is a good fit for you. Um, it's not the right now kind of care. You know, we don't provide crisis services because we're a small organization and this is peer support. So when, when somebody is having a crisis, I might be at home having a crisis with my husband, right. um, you know, dial 988 in that case. That's a, you know, a great, a great hotline for that kind of care, but we will, you know, prioritize, uh, those kind of calls when we do get them and, and try and connect somebody right away. And with, you know, 30 meetings a month, there's good odds that any given day or any, you know, a couple of days later, there would be a meeting you could join. As you think about the help that's out there and that's available, you mentioned that you were at a really low point at, at mm-hmm. one point in this journey. Uh, what about counseling, seeing a therapist? Yeah, terrific resources. I do that too, uh, candidly. And, um, 
there, it's really important to avail yourself of everything that's out there, you know, whether that's therapy, um, antidepressants, you know, don't be afraid of, of some medical help if that's appropriate. Um, you know, doing the usual kind of self-care, taking good care of yourself, reaching out to, uh, you know, religious leaders in your religious community can be helpful. Um, not hiding from your family and friends. I think there's a tendency to pull back on both sides sometimes in this journey. And it's, it's important if you can, again, to push back on that a little bit and be open to the people who will surprise you. You know, the people that are, that can become closest to you during this journey over years and years may not be the people you expected at the outset. It might not be your best friend for whatever reason, you know, and I'm not saying this from personal experience, but we hear this a lot from people that, you know, they're disappointed by somebody they thought would give them more, but then they've been just amazingly surprised by somebody who does step in to fill what they need. So be open to that. My mom discovered that my dad had dementia uh, and uh, as it progressed and they became more and more isolated, those who had been really close friends or so she thought dropped off the radar Backed away. Mm-hmm. Yep. and uh, uh, who knows why, uh, but she ended up really with a very small circle of folks providing some help. One was a wonderful next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's one of the joys of the experience I think is, is finding how deep, relationships with people that might surprise you can be. We've only got about a minute or so left. And and before we go, uh, uh, Laura Whitman, again, the website for Well Spouse Association. Sure. It's wellspouse.org. And you'll find us on all the usual social media sites as well. And and as you think about the differences between the spousal caregiver and the non-spousal caregiver, Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the bigger differences? I would think the emotional attachment uh, on the part of the caregiver. That's right. Yeah, we're, it can be easily summarized as we do more and more complex medical care for our partners at a higher cost, and that cost is both financial and emotional. And then there is the loss of intimacy that often comes with, uh, with being in this role. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs> well, I really we do appreciate more with less. you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on and joining us today. Again, it's the Well Spouse Association wellspouse.org. And thank you to Laura Whitman. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.